You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Helene Wecker on the show with me. She has a fantastic new book. It's not exactly new, but it is uh, newly released in paperback. It's called The Hidden Palace, a novel of the Gollum and Ginny. And what a fun book. Uh, what a what a lush, deep um immersive experience this book was and uh, I, I can't wait for everyone to pick up their copy of it uh, welcome to the show Helene well thank you so much Hank thank you for having me on and thank you for your kind words absolutely um Helene we uh we have a couple of questions that we that we vary um when we start the show and um uh you know great ways to start conversation the, um what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, gosh. Um, my first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller, I think, has is, is sort of tied up with the first book that I really fell in love with, which was um, a book called Myths and Enchantment Tales. And I don't think it's still around. It was one of these, I, th I think it was either, you know, British. It was like written probably like the 30s or 40s. It was this um, uh, boulderized selection of Greek and Roman myths for children that left out all the, the, the dirty and gory bits. Um, <laughs> and it was this, the, the book itself was this sort of thin hardcover with these absolutely beautiful art deco illustrations and i memorized that thing um i read it over and over again and it wasn't until much later till i was an adult that i realized that i think that book did a lot of sort of the map making for me of storytelling um and it you know just got a sort of sunk into my dna and i ended up going from there and and falling in love with a lot of the sort of sci-fi and fantasy that reproduced i think a lot of the structure of um of of those those myths those you know really old you know, sort of like like the the dna um you know get, gets fed into you know tales as as you go on and tales of of the impossible or the improbable or or the fantastic um and so I, I ended up, I think probably like my first stories that I wrote were really bad fan fiction of, <laughs> of you know, Star Trek and Doctor Who and, and a lot of the um, sort of going out and exploring and, and, and finding different uh, sort of stories. Um, and yeah, I think... Yeah, it's it, it all got tied up together. And, and I remember... 
just reading that book over and over and then talking to, you know, my parents about it or my brother um, and and seeing, you know, and then when you would, you know, people would use references to, you know, the Greek myths like a Herculean, uh, you know, struggle or something like that. I'd be like, oh, I know who that is. You know, you <laughs> see statues of Atlas holding holding the globe and, and I it felt, it felt like secret knowledge. It felt like, you know, seeing bits of it all over. So I think that all just sort of tied together. I love that. Um, so having this early experience with, uh, you know, these these old myths and and you start kind of seeing how a lot of these things, uh, you know, have filtered into our modern understandings of things. Um, were, were they uh, were you interested in myths from all over the world? What what was it that? Uh, that when you finally decided to write this story, what was it about the the golem and, and the genie that that really uh, captured your imagination? So, you know, I think you know you said are you, were you interested in, in in myths from all over the world? I think. Uh, as I discovered them, I got interested in them. But, you know, there wasn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. And unfortunately, we did not have like the push toward, you know, multicultural storytelling uh, as much in my, you know, growing up as, as we do today. Um, so when I found them, you know, as I, I, I grew up, I was <clears throat> interested in them. Um, but it wasn't, you know. I think I think the Greek and Roman myths were basically as as diverse as as, as my storytelling got, uh, you know, back in the '80s, unfortunately. Um, but you know, as I got older, and you know, I, I someone asked me recently, when was your first, uh, what was your first story of a golem? When when did you first? learn about golems and you know I grew up Jewish in the Midwest and but I never really absorbed all of the legends um I I didn't I, I didn't have family that told me you know the the tales you know I had you know some you know at Sunday school or or wherever I got a few like Isaac Beshever singers, uh, singer stories, or Shalom Aleichem stories, and you know the stuff that had been sort of boiled down for kids. Maybe a few things, but golems had always sort of been around. But I didn't know where they. I don't know where they they came from. I, you know, my my grandparents didn't tell me. They 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 left all that stuff behind in the old country. You know, that wasn't something that um, that yeah. that they talked to me about at least. Um, and I think honestly, like my first golem stories were like the sci-fi retellings of them. You know, there's that X Files episode uh, right. that had a golem in it, and there was um, a, a friend of mine who's a, a Jewish fantasy writer who I know actually from college. <clears throat> she wrote a golem story that was the first female golem I'd ever seen. Her name's Naomi Kritzer, um, and so, but I never read like. Um, oh gosh, uh, he, she, and it. I never read um, the. <laughs> I blank on everyone's names. Um, uh, the Puttermesser Papers by Cynthia Ozick. All of those like came later. So when, so it was more like the this idea of golems that sort of existed out there in the ether that I never that I didn't have like 
a really firm hold on um, until I started doing the research and writing as, as part of this. Um, and for for Jen, it was really the same. I had the, you know, the, the Americanized, Westernized, uh, you know, Aladdin and, and, right. and Thousand One Nights and I Dream of Genie and all of that. And so I knew enough to know that that was what the West had done to these stories to some extent. <laughs> um, and so when I started working on the Golem and the Genie, I, I made a very deliberate effort to go and find the original, you know, oh gosh, ori- I mean, it's in the Quran, Jinn are in the Quran. So when you say the original, it's like you're going all the way back. Like, right. um, but, you know, to, to, uh, to educate myself as much as I could uh, within reason about, um, you know, different versions of the jinn story and the jinn myth and, 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 you know, which is quite an ordeal because they are so diverse and pervasive throughout uh, the Muslim and Middle Eastern world. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, I mean, I, I, I think I, I sort of, I spent a lot of my life as a, a sponge, just sort of soaking up random stuff. But then once I got to the job of actually deliberately sitting down and doing the research, that was like a whole other education. So I, I think a lot of people's um, introduction to fantasy and and a lot of what they have been immersed in is kind of Middle Ages uh, European culture. That yep. that's what a lot of fantasy. Uh, involves uh, now the golem is uh, g- goes back to uh, to Jewish folklore and the genie goes back to Muslim folklore. Um, first off, um, when you really got e- excited about these these characters, these um, kind of archetypes, where did you go to to really dig into to kind of um, shed some of that Western influence that that had been kind of crept into these uh, story archetypes and to really dig into who they traditionally were and and the rich history that comes with them you know it's hard um i know that as a as a, a western woman an american woman who does not read or speak arabic there's only so much i can get to the original because it sure. is still going to be filtered into english and and right. and through various translators um many of whom were deeply problematic in their own ways um but i went online and found a lot of uh scholarly articles from uh you know, like the early 1900s of uh, sort of explorers, basically the when sociology and, and um, you know, cultural studies started to actually become a thing. And when people were starting to actually take um, non-Western cultures you know, seriously, to to some extent, and not as like we're going to go and tell them how silly they are, but we're going to go and actually write down what people are saying, um, and and then you know see if we can figure out like a cosmology behind it, or you know how this relates to their larger society. So, um, you know, there's one guy who you know went to all the the little villages in in um, uh, um, in Lebanon on, on, well, what was then sort of the region of Lebanon and is now like the, the, the country of Lebanon. Um, and 
wrote down all of the folklore. You know, he would just like sort of walk around the town and and find out, you know, what people, you know, oh, don't go to that well. That's where the gin are. Okay, well, how do you know? And well, because you know, strange things happen there, and all you know, all that sort of local lore um, and sayings and 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 superstitions, and you know, okay, why do you? Uh, blue blue beads and iron beads. You know, why do you tie those around your baby's necks? It's to keep them safe. It's, you know, like the evil eye. And so I, you know, just all the little, <clears throat> some of it, you know, just being like the day-to-day details um, that, you know, the things like that, that we don't even sometimes think about in our culture anymore, like putting a horseshoe over your door. You know, they, that's still, you can still see that, even if it's not like a real horseshoe, there's like an architectural feature. Will there be like a little arch over a door? Well, that's, you know, to to keep it. Originally, that was, um, it was because it was iron and that was what kept the fairies out. And then, you know, going back to, to Western and, and, and British Isles and all of that. And what's really fascinating to me is that uh, both the West and the East have this same um, thing about iron that um, that gin are allergic, you know, sort of uh, quote unquote to iron. It's like they're kryptonite. And so I would start to see how there's like these little connections between it's like, oh, oh, well, this is similar already. You know, this is stuff that I kind of already know. And it's it's that same root of like the the, you know, the, the fairy world and the gin world being like re- representative of, of nature and the uncontrollable and um, and then having. Uh, humanity being represented by iron and progress and machinery, and that's what's beating back the 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 savage of you know savage nature. And so when when you start to see that stuff, it's like, oh, okay, well, this isn't so different. And I can start to relate this through those little details and and make it um, in, into something that you know feels sort of woven through the fabric of of the characters' lives. So when we're when we're dealing with Jewish culture and Muslim culture, um, we're we're talking about cultures that originally were very close geographically, mm-hmm. um, and that share a lot of cultural um, uh, touch points. A, a, a lot of the the culture kind of overlaps between the two. Um, have you seen in in your your research and your kind of familiarizing yourself with these concepts? With these characters, um, it, has there been much overlap uh, in in the past and in, in genies and golems that kind of uh, occupy the same space and occupy the same stories? Well, not um, on the golem side. A lot of the golem myth um, comes specifically <clears throat> from uh, Middle Ages European. Judaism, gotcha. Jewish culture. And so, and a lot, in fact, of the stories that we now look at as like the, the, uh, the most classic golem stories of the middle ages are actually, um, more modern inventions from like the 1800s that were said to be the, uh, you know, it's like, it's, ah, this is an old tale. This is an old middle ages tale. Well, no, you just sort of invented it about, you know, 20 (laughs) minutes ago. Um, And so that, uh, you know, the, the, if you really dig into the scholarship of it, you can see that like, apparently, because I'm no scholar, but what I, what I, what I've read is that, um, 
eat all out of the stuff. It's like, eh, some of it's all other stuff that had the serial numbers filed off and got rewritten. And, and you know, the a Thousand One Nights is exactly the same thing. Um, but the thing that is really cool that I really wish that I could have figured out a way to put into this um, into the second book that I haven't, that I I, I didn't, and I'm, I'm still sort of banking for later, is how much um, Jin were also a part of just, just sort of the, the, the fabric of uh, Jewish Middle Eastern life, um, because it is like the regional myth, and it gets worked into you know, Jewish stories from, um, from the, the Middle East, from, you know, basically the, the, the Jews who stuck around and, and, um, you know, never, you know, who were either like went to Spain and, and became Moranos or who, who like, you know, stayed in, in Yemen and, and, you know, various other countries and, you know, Iran and, and, and Jordanian Jews and, and all of those, um, and Iraqi Jews, um, this was all Jin were always part of of their life, and I had a woman who was an uh, Iranian Jew, I think, came up to me at a reading once, and she would told me about how uh, her grandmother um, would be, you know, was known for her dancing, and at weddings she would start to dance, and then she would get like, you know, she would just start spinning in circles and 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 get, you know, basically into a trance, and and other people would say, oh, the jinn are in her now, and it's like I yeah. That, that, of course, it, it was just sort of like eye-opening to me. That of course, that would be a part of Jewish life in the Middle East because it's basically, you know, the local folk, you know, folk stories, folk religion that gets absorbed the, uh, into, uh, you know, the codified religion. And it, it ends up being in that sort of overlap between um, mythology and and. Uh, religion and folklore and there's all that just sort of mushed together that becomes uh, you know just sort of a fabric of part of the fabric of everyone's lives and so I really need to to figure out a way uh, to put to, to get that into a book at some point because I just think it's so fascinating so you've got these mythical um, creatures uh, that that you've become fascinated with and, and you see the interconnection and the interplay that that could um, happen between them then you take those characters and you bring them to uh, to America and in in the past but not not uh, not the ancient past um, you know a, a past that our parents and grandparents uh, could have experienced. Um, what was it that, what was that, that initial spark of an idea, you know, Hey, I could take these characters, I could bring them to, uh, to the, to the Western world, to America in a semi-modern setting and then, you know, see what hilarity ensues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, and, and that is basically what happened. Um, you know, I really sort of backed my way into it. Um, when I think about how it happened, it was sort of, there wasn't a lot of deliberation about it. It was almost like this thought experiment that turned into a book because what happened was that I was, um, I was at Columbia and it, it and, uh, Columbia university in New York, I was getting my, um, my master's in, in creative writing and I was writing these very real, you know, sort of like, the MFA Carver-esque short story, very realist, lots of, um, 
you know, small emotional epiphanies sort of uh, stories that were taken from real life stories that were from my husband's family and and my family. You know, I, me growing up Jewish in suburban Chicago, him growing up Arab American and, and, and you know, 45 minutes away from me. Um, and, you know, we didn't meet till college, but um, but our family's histories of immigration to the U.S. and sort of the psychological effects that it has on the immigrants and then their children and, you know, growing up basically in white bread suburbia um, had always resonated for me with me like that our our families were so close in so many ways, even though when you look at, you know, Jewish and Arab American in, in, you know, you think about, you know, headlines and in the Middle East and, and you think, well, you should be sort of like knocking heads. Right. And it's like, well, no, because this is in the context of, you know, growing up watching the same cartoons in, in the eighties and, and, and then going right. to, you know, and, and having the same sort of experiences of feeling just sort of weird and other, um, and, you know, and, and growing up sort of with this cultural history, this family history of, of like an emotional resonance with a place that you've possibly never even seen because, you know, that's where your family is from, but it's not where you're from. So, so I was working on these stories and the problem that I was having was that they were not working very well. I, they just were not very good. Um, and I, I was, you know, I was really pissed off about it because, you know, it's that feeling of like, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not a good enough writer yet. I want to be better than this. And so I was talking about it to uh, a friend of mine who was in the class with me and <clears throat> She basically at one point turned to me and said, Helene, why are you doing this? Why are you writing these very, you know, subtle, emotional, realist tales when I, I know what a nerd you are. I've been to your apartment. And I've seen your bookshelf and, <laughs> and you're always talking in class about all of, you know, the uses of the fantastical and literary fiction and, and this and that. And that's so why aren't you doing that? Because that's where your heart is. And I. I honestly hadn't, you know, to this day, I'm like, why didn't I do that? I have no idea why. And I think I was just too intimidated by going to Columbia. And it was like, well, I can't be writing that stuff here, you know, and it wasn't like anyone told me that it was something I, you know, sort of put on myself without even realizing. Um, so I you know, basically like wandered home to my apartment and, and sat there as like, OK, so what if what if I do that? What if instead of like the Jewish girl and American and, and, and Arab American boy who'd been like sort of like threading through these stories? OK, we're, we're going to Neil Gaiman this. We're going to what if we make them a girl golem and a boy genie? And OK, well, I could just sort of see them you know, j just standing there. As soon as I said that, I was like, okay, well, there's, there's, there you guys are. There's, it was like this tall woman uh, who looked sort of shy and unsure of herself and this, this equally tall man who had this sort of bad boy look around to him. And I was like, okay, so where are you guys? You know, what, what, what do I do with you? Um, and because I, I think because I was thinking about it in terms of, of, of like folklore and, and immigration together, that sort of suggested an Ellis Island sort of setting to me. Um, so I was like, OK, well, I'll put you in Manhattan at the turn of the 20th century and you're just going to sort of wander around until you find each other. And so I sat down and wrote 
that day, like the first 12 pages of what would later, later become the golem and the genie. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea about, you know, 20th century, you know, early turn of the 20th century American life. I was, I was just sort of like skimming over the details because I didn't know what they were. I'm like, how do people live? What, what, you know, what, what do you eat? What, how do you know what time it is? If, you know, there aren't like people don't have wristwatches yet. So I'll just leave that stuff out for now. So I brought it, you know, I, I wrote about a dozen pages and I brought it to a workshop and, and, everyone you know read it and got back to me and said well this is this is the most interesting thing you've you've shown us so far uh you know so thank you for that this is better than the other stuff um but this isn't a short story this is a novel and we think you should know um and i did not believe them at first i was like no this is just like a fun short story that i'm going to get out of my system and then i'm going to go back to you know the real work and then it, the story, it was like it got longer and longer and longer. And it felt like there was just more and more that I wanted these characters to do. And the story itself started to get interesting in those details that I didn't know yet. It was like, OK, how do you actually go about disguising yourself as a human in 1899 New York, what, how do you get an apartment? How do you, you know, what, what, what do you do? How do you get around town? What, what sort of job would you have if you're a golem? You know, if you're like a girl golem who, you know, you, you can't exactly go down to the, uh, to the docks and say, Hey, I'd like to be a stevedore and, and like haul things around all day because you're a woman. So you have to figure out how to do something that, you know, is going to take that physical urge of like being a, a creature that's made for work um, and and translate. And, and, but also like do something that like women are allowed to do. So I made her into a baker and then I put her in a bakery. And now I've got this whole world of the Lower East Side with like this popular bakery that she's seeing everyone come in and out. Now I have to read about the Lower East Side. So everything just sort of unfolded bit by bit and turned into this giant world that I got very invested in and wanted to show everyone. And so this thing <clears throat> that I thought, and, and you know, and then over on, on um, uh, the genie side too, it's like, well, okay, what what Arab Americans are in America in 1899? And I started to do the research and I learned, okay, so it's the Lebanese and it's mostly Christian. It's almost exclusively Christian just because of the demographics and, and who's, um, you know, who, who has the enough English to come to America and actually get a job. Well, it's going to be the Lebanese Christians who learned English from the missionaries who came and, you know, would be at a church for a few years and teach someone enough English to get by and then give them a letter of introduction. And then, you know, then they could go to America and make a living. And so now I'm reading memoirs of, of Lebanese Christians who came to America at the turn of the 20th century. And I'm reading about these, these, this community that formed, um, in the Southern tip of Manhattan that was called Little Syria. Um, and so, you know, the same thing's going over on that side. And so this short story this, that I thought I was writing turned into a book that took seven years in the end to, to research writing and get out into the world. And that's, I mean, it really just sort of walked backwards into the whole thing. It, it never ceases to amaze me, um, the power of story to break down barriers and to, um, uh, to 
extend the olive branch in, in sort of a way that, you know, when, when you think about disparate cultures and and people like like you alluded to earlier, um, you know, the the idea that that you should be knocking heads with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but when we couch that in story and and we allow the humanity to show that in humanity, humanity is a is an interesting way to describe these characters because they are uh they are not human um but they do reflect um our humanity in, in their character development um could what was that like writing these characters and 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 realizing kind of the the importance that you were uh that they were taking on whether whether you maybe intended for them to or not um but was there ever a realization, you know, that these characters are going to are going to grow bigger than than I maybe initially intended for them to? Or they were going to have importance that, that maybe I didn't first, uh, you know, give that intent to? You know, it's a really good question. And it it did actually happen that way because at first I had no idea who these two were. Um, and because I had, you know, gotten into the idea of the book the way that I did, they at first were little more than stand-ins for, for me and, and my husband that, you know, they were yeah. sort of these, these vessels of, of, you know, well, you're, you're going to be the, the metaphor, the figurehead, whatever. Um, but then as I got into the details of the story and I started to think through the day to day of, OK, so what are they going to do with their lives? That was when they started to develop their own personalities and their own considerations, um, many of which came directly from their natures as these inhuman creatures who are being forced into um human acting lives um and what you know what are they going to strain against what is going to drive them absolutely crazy and what is going to um and and then once once they meet up you know i sort of created them as as they took on their own personalities i i i I was like okay well if i'm going to be shaping you guys let's let's look at you almost as like opposites in some way um where you know the the golem her her whole purpose uh what she's built for is is servitude and the and you know she's really not comfortable unless she's helping someone unless she's uh you know being of use that is that is like her 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 calling her you know her ultimate goal is to be of use that is what she feels she is there for um and you know the genie is the exact opposite he's you know a a, a free spirit he you know very very uh well usually literally i've 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 trapped him in human form for for the purpose of of the book um but he you know he's deeply resentful of the fact that he is now stuck in this human world um that he was you know he 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 was brought over basically by accident um and did not ask for any of this and he but he's like well i'm you know i I guess if i'm here i need to make the most of it but i'm not exactly going to be happy about it um 
so when these two meet, you know, he has he has feels he has no obligation to anyone or anything. Um, he, human rules, human, you know, things like monogamy and, and uh, you know, having to wear clothing and things like that just just <laughs> piss him off. Um, so when so when these two get together, they, you know, I, I basically I was able to design them to react to each other where it was like these two are going to be like oil and water and they are going to do nothing but argue about it. But the overarching thing that is going to <clears throat> ally them and keep them together is that they are the only ones who know what the other one is going through. Um, it's it's sort of this um, uh, very contentious society of two. <clears throat> where they are sitting outside humanity and observing it and, you know, interacting with it in, in their own, uh, you know, very different ways. But they have this common conversation because, because of their position. And it is, they do get to, I, I do get to sort of look at humanity through them, um, which was not my intent at the beginning, but pretty quickly. I mean, I, I guess it, it sort of makes sense that if you, you take two characters who aren't human and, and, and you put them in the middle of, of, you know, 1899 New York society, what you're going to get is a lot of philosophy. You're going to get a lot of why the hell are they doing what they're doing? And, uh, you know, what is it about humans that drives us crazy? And 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 that gets pretty deep into human nature and and societal rules and and you know stuff like that and and different perspectives on it. So I've had people ask me why did you put so much philosophy in these books about monsters? And I was like, it just sort of came with them. They they, they just sort of started talking and 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 this was what they talked about because this was their common experience was looking at humans and from a position. Of, of you know from the edge from the outside and I guess that is what philosophy is to some extent um, as, as much as anyone can remove themselves from humanity in order to look at it um, so that it, it was just sort of you know a thing that developed along with the book the hidden palace is book two uh, for these characters uh, is there more life for these uh, characters going forward I I think I hope so. I sir, I am working on book three um, as not as we speak, but <laughs> book three is currently open on my computer. It is right now a mass of research and notes that um, don't make a lot of, you know, well, hopefully they make sense, but there isn't it, it, it's a skeleton right now with pieces missing and I'm sort of slowly building it. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know past book three what what may or may not happen. But um, but, yeah, part of the fun of these characters is that they are you know, essentially in some way immortal. And so I've had people say to me, you could bring these up into the modern world if you wanted to. You could just like write them straight through to our times. And I was like, yeah, I could. It would be sort of more and more work as I went on to be like, okay, how are they pretending to, you know, have they sort of faked their own deaths and, and, and come back as their own children, you know, because they are living in a world that... Um, you know, will notice if you don't age and if you, you know, you don't eat. And so that is part of the stuff they have to pretend to do. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think there's more life in them. I think there's, um, yeah, I think there's a lot more they can do. 
Well, if you decide to write them through to modern history, I am here for it. I'm just <laughs> to tell you. Uh, the Hidden Palace is available everywhere now in, in the original hardcover uh, release and now in paperback, as well as The Gollum and the Genie, the first book in the series. Go grab them both. You will not be disappointed, I promise. Um, Helene, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they find you online? They can find me at HeleneWecker.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly if it's Helene Wecker or Wecker H, but I am the only Helene Wecker out there. So just search on me and you'll find me. Great. Uh, we will put links to those uh, places in the uh, in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Um, I love this book. I know everyone else will. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. 